Welcome, ladies and divorce professionals. You are listening to the Divorce for Wealthy Women podcast, where we dive into complex and sometimes taboo topics relating to divorce and women. Specifically, we often discuss how affluent women can maintain their lifestyles during and post-divorce. Join me as we talk to the most sought-after divorce professionals across the globe and share powerful tips that you can take along with you no matter where you are in your journey. Typically, you have people who are experts in their field who want to present themselves as just the best of the best, no flaws, never had any issues in life they just present themselves in that light. And it's refreshing, so refreshing to have today Roy Biancalana on. And he is going to be on the podcast to talk about him as an expert, as a relationship coach, and his journey to really how he developed his expertise. And it is absolutely vulnerable, extremely open, honest, shows all of his past flaws. And it's very intriguing, uh, the entire episode, as well as the things that you're going to take away, all the tips. And if if you have a chance to read his book, I recommend it highly. Um, he's very much uh, been wanting to get on this podcast for a while, and I've been wanting him to. So it's been a really great experience to finally record the episode with Roy. So take a listen, enjoy it. It's a longer episode today. And again, if you can get his book, go for it. Um, And uh, anything you can learn from this experience is we all have a past, we all have work to do, and it really starts with ourselves, not our exes or not our soon-to-be exes. Roy, thanks for joining us today. I know that it's just, uh, it's been on the calendar for a while, so I'm glad we're finally doing this. How are you? Yeah. Oh, I'm doing great, Olivia. Nice to chat with you. I can't wait to see what comes up here as we as we talk. I know. Well, we have uh, a lot of good questions for you. And one of them, I'd like to just start. I know you have an interesting story. So and mm-hmm. how you got into relationship coaching. Can you just talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, it's it's a career that I never chose, never even dreamt of being involved in it it sort of came in the back door and called me to it because of all the relationship nightmares that i had been through right so just to make a long story short i was married for 19 years that relationship sort of devolved into a platonic co-parenting brotherly sisterly thing and so went through a divorce and immediately rebounded into the dead opposite relationship where it was highly sexual. And at the time that was wonderful for me because it had been so long, but we were together for about two and a half years and we were engaged actually. And six months before the wedding, she broke up with me and that destroyed me. I mean, I had what I consider to be like a year long midlife crisis. I mean, I couldn't sleep. I had heart palpitations. I was a lousy father that year. My career suffered. I was just a mess, okay? And just in my own attempting to survive my pain, I did the only thing at the time that I knew how to do, which was simply, I joined like four different dating sites, just trying to meet a new woman 
to help me forget about the last one. Okay. Which I don't advise that. (laughs) I don't, I don't advise rebounding either, but these are the things that I did uh, in, in an effort to, to really survive. But I, I caused an enormous amount of drama through all that. You can imagine because even though I thought I was available and emotionally available, I really wasn't. Looking back, I was sort of using these other women to help me get over the last one. And mm-hmm. so it was just a mess. And right in the middle of that, a friend of mine suggested that maybe I should work with someone. And the funny part about that is, and it's funny now, it's kind of sad too, is all along the way, I really did think that all of my love life problems, and this really speaks to maybe the, the most important thing that the listener can take away from our conversation. I really thought that my love life was a mess because I hadn't met the right woman yet. Like it was my ex-wife and she had this and that and my ex-fiance and all the crazy women online. It never really occurred to me that maybe I had something to do with my patterns and my pain in relationships. So, um, so when I hired a coach, I think the first thing that, that I had to face was that I had to quit talking about the women and what I thought they did wrong and, and to really ask myself, what was my part in creating the relationship dynamics I experienced? What was I missing about myself? Because I, I really thought it was all them. So I had to look for my blind spots. I had to look for what I call my relationship personas. I had to look at my limiting beliefs. I had to look at the way my childhood upbringing and conditioning was affecting the way I lived and the way I loved. Because again, up until that time, I didn't think it had anything to do with me. But as it turned out, it had everything to do with me, right? Not that the women didn't have their issues, but that I really recognized without the stuff that I was doing, and bringing to the table, nothing could have turned out the way it did. So the biggest shift that I made that that led to me now being in a great love life was that I took responsibility and I looked in the mirror and I said, what am I doing to attract these partners and these patterns and these problems and this pain? And as I did that, it empowered me to make real change. Because if, if it's always somebody else's fault, well, then nothing is ever going to change unless you just luckily pick a better partner. And maybe we'll talk about this. You can never pick a partner who is healthier than you are. So I became a coach because I hired a coach to help me work on these things. And she just invited me and really challenged me to look at myself and to evaluate myself and to find the places within me that I needed to change. And that proved to be so transformative because I quickly was able to meet and fall in love with, and I've been married for 14 years now to an amazing woman. Uh, I was able to do that because of the work that we had done. And so I just became a coach because I wanted to do, and I, and I, I want to do for other people what my coach does for me. Because 
I really have come to see that I, the gods did not smile on me. I did not get lucky. I followed a certain process. I asked certain questions. I looked within myself in certain places that are completely transferable. So I just tell people, if you do the work I did, you can have the results that I got. And that's why I'm a coach is just to offer myself and to walk with people who want to take the same journey that I did. Wow. I am so astonished in such a positive way that you were so brutally honest about your path. Thank mm. you for sharing that. I was yeah, not pa expecting pain that. Has, yeah, pain <laughs> has a way of uh, making you get honest. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh my gosh, you have done the work and... I can only imagine if every listener here has heard that from their ex, how vastly different mm -hmm. their lives would be. But right. the message they can take from this is doing the work on themselves as well, because it's not always right. about the ex, even if he never changes, <laughs> no. never does what you did, Roy. It's, wow. it's, yeah, it's, it's never about the ex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ex is a reflection of you. Mm. Let's sit with that yeah. for a moment. Let's yeah. sit with that. Wow. The X yeah. is a reflection of you. Wow. So yeah. It, oh, I'm guessing in your new book, which is Relationship Boot Camp, that you talk about that a lot. And you Correct. I know you also talk about like the biggest mistake that we make in the pursuit of our intimacy. Can you tell us about that as well? Yeah. Yeah. As you know, as a relationship coach who works almost exclusively with single people or people in very new relationships. Um, what the, the mistake that I made that I see people making all the time, and I'll, I'll use kind of a, a little illustration to explain it. Just imagine that you want to, you know, compete and do well in a triathlon, okay? Just imagine that you want to do that. And then imagine, which is not true, that I'm a triathlon coach and that I won the Ironman back in the day and now I'm retired and I coach other people on how to be successful in the triathlon. Okay, so imagine we're working together and you start asking me questions about the day of the race. You're asking me, how do you survive in the water in the beginning, it's a frenzy, and how do you transition from the water to the bike and then the bike to the marathon? And you're out there all day, so how much do you eat? When do you eat? How much water? You're asking me all these very important questions about race day. And as a triathlon coach, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, those are important questions, but that's not what you should be asking me about. You should be asking me about how do I get in shape for something like this? Because you can have the best strategy in the world, but if you're 50 pounds overweight, you're not going to make it 50 yards in the mm -hmm. water, right? <laughs> so you got to come to the starting line in shape to go the distance. And, and then we can talk about some strategy things. So this is what I see people, this is the biggest mistake. They come to me and they wanna know about race day. Like, where do I go to meet someone? How do I get them to approach me? Or how do I approach them? And what do I say? And how do I flirt? Or what should I wear? Or, right, all the questions that are actually important, but they're not what you should be asking me. You should be asking me, how do I get ready for something real? Like, how do I, how do I get myself in relationship shape 
so that when I do meet this person, however that happens, I can go the distance. Because what I've learned, Olivia, is we have what I call, there, there are seven areas of our lives that really need to be conscious and operating at a high level if we want to connect with someone in a meaningful way. And I call them in my book, seven relationship muscles, just because I'm having fun using a fitness metaphor for relationships, just because it makes it easier to understand. So I, I say that there are seven relationship muscles that need to be strong if you want to have a great relationship. And if they are, you're going to be able to connect in a way that you can go the distance where you can handle conflict, you can handle problems, and you can just work through things and connect in a harmonious, you know, kind of wonderful way. And so all of my work, really, I could describe it as trying to get people in relationship shape. And once you're in shape, then you can just let life be life. You can go different places. You can do online dating. You, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do. I met my wife just, you know, kind of quote luck. It wasn't, but I went to a personal growth conference. I was interested in the topic and the speaker. And I, I just sat down next to the prettiest girl in the room. And eight, 18 months later, we were married. But that was after I had worked for two years with a coach, which is enormous amount of time, but I was messed up bad. <laughs> um, and then I later found out that the woman I met, my wife, had spent three years working with a therapist on all her junk. And so we both met kind of, you could say, on the starting line at that conference, but we were, we were in shape. We were ready to connect in healthy ways. And you could say the rest is history. So that's what I preach to people. Don't, it's not about where to go. It's not about finding the right person. It's about being the right person and having the relationship skills and abilities to know yourself, to be self-aware so that you can connect in a way that, that really works. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. Every word I absolutely loved, by the way, the Ironman triathlete example, since I am an Ironman triathlete and I oh, awesome. absolutely agree with you, Roy, if, if, yeah. uh, if you want to call a triathlete coach, which I have, they can tell you all day, the race day, the nutrition, the fueling, the, the right. transitions, the, what to do. Right. I mean, you're going to fail <laughs> if, you, if yeah. you don't do the work for six to nine to 12 months beforehand at the very yeah. least. Um, yeah. And I love that you relate that to relationships because yeah. what you do in relationship coaching is so imperative. And I got to tell you, one of the biggest things that I see women do is finding the time to try to find the guy in the next mm. relationship. So yeah. with me, I mean, we put a, I like to use the analogy with cars, you know, I'm in the passenger mm -hmm. seat, they're in the driver's seat, but I'm going to ask them politely to tap on the brakes a little bit because uh, that's, mm -hmm. you know, where we need to get people involved for relationship coaching uh, before going to, you know, on my podcast, I've had luxury matchmaking coaches and mm -hmm. that's wonderful when they're ready. So I love, right. oh, I love the, the relationship right. muscles. Can you talk about some of those, a couple of those? Oh, yeah. I know you've talked yeah, about you're... in your book, but. Yes. Yes. And you bring up a great point. You can spend enormous amounts of money on matchmakers, but 
if you sort of bring your baggage sort of with you, Mm -hmm. well, then you're just going to create the same old relationship dynamics that didn't work in the past. And you're just out a bunch of money. So (laughs) much better to stop and make some changes within yourself. And then, yeah, whatever way you want to meet someone, at least now you're prepared to make something, you know, really special happen. So, um, yeah, there's seven muscles. I'll pick the one I think is the juiciest. Um, it's it's the it's kind of the one that nobody really wants to talk about, but it's probably the most important one, and that is our relationship to our past. Okay, we all have a relationship to our past. I often joke that the only people that don't have any relationship baggage are the little babies in the maternity ward. Okay. Everybody else has got wounds and bruises and scars and hurts and pains. And sometimes it's deep and terrible trauma. Other times people have been, you know, ghosted, gaslighted, deceived, cheated on, right? We, we all have a past. We've all had relationships that don't work out and they, they leave a mark. Okay. So there's nothing wrong with having a past. The issue is, is your past something that just merely happened to you or is it something that's happening? In other words, is your past still alive in you? Okay. And for most of us, it is because we have an instinct that I don't want to be hurt again. And so that pain being alive in us makes us guarded. It can make us suspicious. It can put a wall around our heart. And a wall really will keep you safe, but it will keep you single too. Nobody can get in to hurt you, but nobody can get in to love you. So the issue about our past is so important. Um, It's a little bit, it's a little bit like a menage a trois from hell. Okay. (laughs) In that it's me and it's you and my past. And the three of us are in this relationship. Okay. And so when your past is alive in you, that, that pain is alive in you, you can't help but, but project it. You know, so a new, per, a new man or a new woman stands in front of you and you're really not relating with them for who they are. You are seeing them through your past relationships and you're projecting your pain there. And it's almost like, I mean, imagine if someone's been, in their last three significant relationships, they've been cheated on every time. Okay. So then you meet me and I'm standing right in front of you. Are you going to be just wide open and ready to play and dance? And, or, or, or are you going to be somewhere in you saying, are you going to cheat on me too? And I got to make, I got to check you out. I, I don't trust you. Um, you, you need to prove yourself to me. See, so most people, they, when the past is alive, we look at the issue of trust because when the past is alive, you've got trust issues. And we look at the issue and we start from the place of, I don't trust you. You have to prove yourself to me and then I will. But when you start that way, you're giving off that energy. You're giving off that energy that I'm holding you at arm's length, that you are... You are having to prove yourself. You are having to overcome something that you were not responsible for. You, you, you're just a brand new person. You haven't hurt me. You haven't cheated on me. 
but you, a person can tell that they're being held responsible for something and they can feel that kind of, in a sense, that kind of resistance. And I don't know of too many really good quality people that bring a sledgehammer to a date. Like they don't, they don't, they don't come prepared to knock down your walls, right? They, they don't want to be not trusted. They, and they don't want to have to prove it or earn it. But when you let, when you learn how to let go of your past, where it's something that happened because you never forget it per se, you're not, we're not talking about doing a lobotomy on you, but when it's not happening in you, then you could meet me and start from the place of saying, I'm open, my heart is available and I trust you. Until you do something that makes me not trust you, then I'm gonna kick you in the balls and send you down the road, <laughs> metaphorically, <laughs> right? There's a big difference though, between starting from, I don't trust you, you gotta prove it to me, and my arms are wide open, my heart is open. Like, I, I trust, I don't, I don't know if I trust you, I just trust life. I, I'm open, I'm playful, I'm sensual, I'm available. And let's see what happens here because there's nothing between us. So a big part of our work that we need to do is to let go of our past, is to you know, learn the lessons from what happened, feel the feelings, let go of the um, the emotions whether they're bitterness anger hatred you know all the trust issues have got to be cleared up if you want to meet someone and create a healthy dynamic and those are topics that are just you know this was a really nice podcast until roy started talking about that <laughs> no i this is so imperative <laughs> Keep but going. yeah, this is this is what it's about here. It is. Um, it really is. Um, and and there's ways of doing this. It sometimes it feels like I can never get over what happened, or I I, I can never let it go. And I'm like, yeah, you really can. If and if you want to, if you see the importance of it, and you want to, that's what I do with my clients. Nine times out of ten, is we're letting go of the past, so it can just free them up, you know, to to just be present, to meet someone and be there in that moment, rather than kind of being there, living from what happened in that kind of protective, almost suspicious kind of way. Does that make sense? It does. It even brings up, um, I, I feel like it's the wording of self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, I'm not yeah. even saying it right. I That's not the work I do. But it seems like if someone's not trusting enough, they're going to try to almost sabotage the relationship to prove that that yeah. person's not trustworthy and it's going to cheat the fourth time. So it seems right. like that's, that's also part of it in a sense. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's, that's kind of called projection. Projection. You're, that's the word. Or, or, <laughs> or yeah. Or confirmation bias in psychology. Yes. When you're, you're looking for something, you're assuming you're going to find it or you're going to interpret things they do and make it mean that. Right. So if someone doesn't text you back right away or they don't ask you out for a date, you can interpret that as, well, they're not really into me or they're playing a game or they're not trustworthy when it might not mean that at all. It might mean that they're just busy and they're not a person who just texts their brains out all day. Um, 
it, it could be a good sign they're not tethered to their phone all the time. Um, but we have a tendency to make assumptions based upon the past being alive in us. And then that just comes between us and moving forward. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And even uh, relating it to, to finance and money, when I work with clients and we're talking about their money history, it goes mm -hmm. all the way to childhood. I mean, all of these things relate to trauma, sure. especially for, for when we talk about power and money and control and shame and all the different emotions. So right. that's fascinating um, that that you actually are bringing up. I like that juicy muscle that we talked about because that one I think is yeah. absolutely the most important. Go back, fix yeah. fix what you can and uh, also just heal appropriately yeah. and do the work. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's just one of the seven muscles. The wow. other ones are nearly as important, if not, you know, and they're all they're all in the book and so forth. But mm -hmm. It really comes down to, you know, wanting to be a person who really wants to evolve and become self-aware and see their blind spots so that you can set your love life on a completely different trajectory, right? One, one of the biggest things we experience is something I call relationship groundhog day. It's like you keep attracting the same kind of partner and then you have the same basic pattern or problem over and over again, like the movie where Bill Murray lives the same day over and over and over again. And most people can relate to that in their love lives. Why do I keep attracting emotionally unavailable men? Why do I keep attracting narcissists? Why do I keep attracting wounded soldiers that need to be mommied and fixed and put back together? And there's answers for those things. And it, they, it stems from things that are going on within us that attract those dynamics into our lives. It's one of the, one of the things that I say that's kind of, kind of provocative, but I think it makes sense is everyone loves the law of attraction. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, oh, that's all the rage in, the, in the, uh, the single world of attracting your partner, except the law of attraction can really ruin your love life because it can either work for you or against you. Because what the law of attraction means is it, 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 there's so much garbage around it, but it just basically means like attracts like or birds of a feather flock together. It just means you're going to attract someone on the same level that you are. Like attracts like. Now, if you have a lot of some of these issues we're talking about, like I did, um, then you're going to attract based upon that stuff. And then you're going to end up in dysfunctional, disappointing relationships. But the healthier you are, the more you work on yourself, then you will attract people from that healthier way of being, which means you attract healthier people. And then the law of attraction can work for you. So, does that make sense? It works against you if you, if you have the trust issues and, or, or, some of the other things we could talk about that, you know, something like a relationship persona. I mean, just very briefly, um, here's, here's my story real quick. I think people will find this interesting. I grew up and basically to be close to my mother, if mama wasn't happy, nobody was happy. So I learned at a very early age, five, four, five, six years old, that to be close with my mother meant that I needed to make my life be about taking care of hers. That I, 
needed to drop what I wanted, what I needed, what I was thinking, and just make mommy happy. And, and if I fulfilled her agenda, if I was a good boy, then I felt warmth and affection from her. When I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't beaten or something, but I, I felt more of a harshness. I felt more of a distance. And so what little boy does not want to be close to his mommy? And so I learned, well, the way you get close to your mother is you just be a good boy and make your life be about fulfilling her needs. And so now, decades later, I'm 40, I'm 45 years old, and I'm relating like a good boy. I'm Because I have, I've learned that the way you get close to a, to a beautiful woman, the way you get her attention and affection is about making your life be about taking care of hers. And I functioned as someone I call Roy the rescuer. I was, I rescued women because I was operating from the assumption that I, that I couldn't get their love and affection unless I was rescuing a damsel in distress. And that was my pattern. I kept attracting women who were high powered in their careers, very successful, made a bunch of money, but they were single mothers and they were overwhelmed and they, they could not handle their home and their career. And it was, they were just overwhelmed with it all. And then they met me and oh my God, I'm like Superman. I'm coming to the rescue. Oh baby, I'll raise your kids for you. I'll do the laundry. I'll clean your house. I'll make dinner. I'll cut the grass. I'll take him to soccer practice. I will take care of my damsel in distress. And I kept attracting women who were just overwhelmed with life and needed to be saved, needed to be rescued because I was a rescuer. Now, most people, they get in those patterns and they want to blame the woman. And that's what I did for a while. Why I was telling my coach, why are all these women just, you know, they're, they're really successful. They're really smart, but they're all falling apart. And I have to do all this stuff for them. I don't want to be Mr. Mom, but I, if I don't, then I'm never going to get laid. I'm never going to, they're never going to want to be with me unless I do all this stuff. And my coach was smart enough to point out that Roy, you're operating from a certain set of beliefs about yourself and beliefs you develop from your mother about women and relationships that aren't necessarily true. But because you think you need to be a rescuer, the only kinds of women that will ever match you or you'll be attracted to will be women who need to be rescued. It's like two pieces of a puzzle, right? Mm. A piece of a puzzle doesn't go with just any piece. It's got to find its reciprocal match. And I, I was shaped, my, my puzzle piece, my psychological, emotional shape was such that it only fit with damsels. I remember meeting all kinds of women that were on their game. They they had good careers, but they were they were handling their families. They were they were on their game. We never felt any chemistry. There was never really why? Because I was trying to be a rescuer, which turned them off. I don't need you to rescue me. I mean, love and support are nice, but I don't really need you to treat me like I'm some victim that can't handle myself. And so the women, they sort of had their shit together. We weren't attracted. But the women that were damsels in distress were, were totally into me because we fit together like two pieces of a puzzle, like cookies and milk. 
So when you've got a pattern in your love life, you're attracting narcissists or you're attracting wounded soldiers or emotionally unavailable men or something, it's because you have what's called a relationship persona. You are moving with a certain energy that's based on certain beliefs, probably from your childhood, that are having you show up in a way in the world that requires your partners to be your reciprocal match. So the classic one is the woman saying, I, I'm always a, a meeting men who are broken down and, you know, they're, they're between jobs, they're, they're kind of hurting, they're wounded soldiers. Well, that's because you're basically, you got some sort of nurse persona. You're like Florence Nightingale. Somehow in your upbringing, you learned that maybe you got affection and attention from your dad when you, you took care of things, when you overfunctioned, when you were a fixer, when you were there to, to help solve problems or whatever, you just learned that, well, when I'm that kind of little girl, then I, I feel connected. I feel safe. I feel like I have good relationships. If I was quote, more selfish, I never felt very connected. I never felt people valued that. So now you're an adult woman and you're functioning like a nurse. Well, nurses, they have to attract wounded people. <laughs> they go together. And so the way, so when a person says, I want to attract a really a man who's not wounded or he's not a narcissist. No, no, no. That's the wrong question. Because as long as you're a nurse, that's the only person you will ever attract. You can go into a bar full of a hundred men. You'll find the one man in there who's broken down because you're a nurse. And that's the only person you could do your thing with. Like if I'm a rescuer, I found one damsel after another, because that's the only person that needed my shtick, my persona. And now, most of us, we don't know what our personas are, but we do know the pattern. And so when I'm working with someone, I love when they tell me about the pattern they're experiencing, the kinds of men or women that they're attracting and the problem, because it leads us to be able to forget about them, but say, well, then if you're attracting that, then who must you be in order to be attracting that pattern? And that was probably one of the single biggest breakthroughs I had with my coach is for me to see Roy the rescuer. Because until then, I just thought that I was just a really nice guy. I just thought that I was, you know, just the world's greatest boyfriend. In fact, one of my, one of my books, I have a title called the, of the chapter called the world's greatest boyfriend. <laughs> I, I, but what I didn't recognize is that it was a fear-based persona. I wasn't being Mr. Mom because that's the way love wanted to come through me. It was fear. It was like, I didn't think I could ever get a woman to want to be with me unless I was doing that. So I was doing it for all the wrong reasons based on fear. And of course it just creates a drama. Um, and it always attracts women who are damsels in distress. So one of the biggest insights you can get is learning what your relationship persona is. And everyone's got one. You, I don't care if your parents were just the most enlightened people in the world. You're going to come out of your childhood with a persona, with a, a, a way of being that you know gets you to feel safe and secure and love and attention. And very often it's not your authentic self. It's just the way that you knew you had to be 
in order to survive in your childhood in some way. And so discovering that and then learning, well, because I had to learn who is Roy if I'm not a rescuer. And I remember, I can remember to this day, and I'll, I'll wrap up with this. To this day, I told my coach, I was like, Diana, I don't even know who I would be if I wasn't Roy the Rescuer. And what she said to me, I'll never forget. She said, Roy, welcome to the path. That is where your spiritual journey starts. You don't know who you are. All you know is the way you had to be as a little boy to survive. So yeah, you don't know who you are. But that's what we're going to talk about now. We're going to discover your authentic self. Because when you relate from your authentic self, from the love flowing through you, then you're going to attract healthy dynamics. And that's what I invite people if they want to get out of the crappy patterns that they're in, (laughs) the disappointing breakups and divorces and being dumped in drama, that this is the kind of stuff you got to do. And I'd love to help them along the way. Well, and I know you have an intriguing free gift that kind of ties yeah. together everything we've talked about. Can you tell us about that as the last question? Yep, absolutely. Yep. So I maintain that you need to be in great relationship shape to have a great love life. And so it would be like going to a gym. If you want to get in good physical shape, if you hire a trainer, the first thing they're going to do is put you through a bunch of assessments to see what your current fitness level is. And then they can put a program together to get you where you want to go. Well, that's what I do as a coach. I know what you want. You want that great, sustainable, beautiful relationship. But what is your current fitness level? So I have something called the Relationship Fitness Self-Assessment Test. It's a 30-question, true-false test that takes about three to five minutes to take. And it will assess how, how in, what kind of relationship shape are you in now? Once you find out what your current fitness level is, then I could put a program together for you to get you in shape. Now you don't have to work with me, but I think knowing what your fitness level is, is a, it's as important as knowing what your credit score is. If you want to buy a house, because a bank won't give you money if your credit score stinks. So you got to raise your credit score, then then they'll give you all the money you want to buy a house. And so knowing what your relationship fitness level is, is so important because then you know if I'm ready for something real or like most people will take the test, they find out that there's some growth that's needed, that they're human, that they need to work on some of these muscles and get them stronger. So at coachingwithroy.com, my, my website, coachingwithroy.com, right on the front page is the fitness level test. And it's absolutely confidential, right? Even I don't see your results. I just get notified you took the test, but I don't see what the results are. You get them. And once you get them, if, if they indicate you need to get in better shape, my contact info comes with your results. And if you want to set up an exploratory conversation with me to see what my program is like, we can do that. But for sure, at least find out what the test indicates in terms of your current relationship fitness level. That's really helpful because I I appreciate you also saying the discrete confidentiality part of that because that's extremely important to my clients and and myself. So um, I will put that in the notes, just your website and link. So it's easy to click on. 
And Roy, thanks for coming. This has been just a really fun conversation. I really appreciate your honesty here. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it very much, Olivia. Thank you for joining another episode with me, your host, Olivia Summerhill. Until the next episode, visit www.summerhillfirm.com for a discreet way to find helpful resources that can help bring you clarity to your divorce journey.